There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests with a particular perspective or an experience that I think expands the conversation. I often draw on my own meaning work research I've been doing over the last 15 years and also the consulting that I've been doing in speaking and developing leaders across the globe. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Mike Rochelle, who is the founder and chief executive officer at Mike Rochelle and Associates, which is a management and leadership development consultancy. We talked about digital transformation and his view that companies need to prioritize people over technology and process. Great and productive conversation. With us this week is Sherry Elliott Yuri, who is known as a generational guru. She is a generational keynote speaker, coach, and author. Having been born in 1968, Sherry's DNA is a Gen X, but her generational personality is a baby boomer. She is the author of several books. One is Ties to Tattoos, Turning Generational Differences into Competitive Advantage. The second book is You Can Have It All, Just Not All at Once. And now she is soon releasing a book series called Crack the Millennial Code, where, she, where one is about marketing, two is managing three is motivating the millennials which is all the topics of our conversation today sherry joins us today from plano texas sherry welcome back to working on purpose thank you it's my honor to be back on the show thanks for having me always wonderful so I, I want to start up. Obviously, you've spent a lot of time in this generational space. And for our listeners who haven't amazingly somehow found you yet, help us understand where your fascination, fascination with the generations actually came from. Why work on generations? Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, probably about 2005 to 2007, I kept hearing from my HR clients, why do those kids have baggy pants? And what's that shiny thing in their nose? And Why are they late and why do they ask why, why, why? And I really started researching it and I thought it was more of a people from a perspective issue and how could we change from a leadership. And the more I delved into it, there really wasn't anything in the marketplace that helped me understand. And so I decided I would write a book on it myself as an HR professional. I thought, well, who better to write this and share the information than me? (laughs) <laughs> what we get curious about, we throw ourselves into. Absolutely. So, right? Okay, so next, and this is interesting for me, Sherry, because as long as I've known you, which we know is well over 10 years, when we, we first began talking about this, there were four generations in the workplace, and now there are five. So for our listeners who maybe don't have a, a strong access to generations, can you give us a, a kind of a broad sketch of what are those five generations? Yeah, and so what you said in the workplace, and what's interesting about that is, is obviously we have them in the marketplace and our families, and that's really what, um, you know, it, it drives us to look at it from a whole bunch of perspectives, but um, we have traditionalists who are on average 74 to 96 years of age, baby boomers, they're on average 54 to 73 years of age, Generation X. 38 years of age to 53. Millennials, or known as Gen Y, they are 21 to 37. And then our latest generation, Gen Z, 
are 20 and under. Okay, that was crisp. Great for our our listeners across the globe to understand just what it is we're talking about. So we're going to focus this conversation, most of this conversation anyway, on the millennials. And I've heard you you and other people say that the millennials are the largest generation in the workplace. And I'll focus on, on that to start just because that's the world that I dwell in for this particular program. Uh, and so if you could say a little bit about who are the millennials and why are they so important to understand? So what makes them, you know, them, a few of their characteristics, if you, if you would, to start with that. And then why are they so important to understand? Yeah, well, the reason that millennials are so important is, to me anyway, enough to want to write a three book series on millennials is because I really think they get a bad rap. And it was funny, I met with a millennial, a couple of millennials yesterday, and he goes, oh, you write books? Way cool. And I said, yeah, <laughs> like, cool, dude. Okay, so that just aged me, right? <laughs> right, right. And he's like, oh, I didn't know that. So he says, oh, I'd like to get one. So I text him when he's finished, and I said, oh, send me your address so I can send you a copy of my book. Next sentence back is his email address. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) And so I texted him and I said, no, I mean like snail mail. (laughs) And, you know, it's just so funny on how we view things. In that scenario, I could have looked at that and went, okay, stupid. Didn't you know what I meant? I'm going to send you my book. But that's not it. Just because that's how I expected that conversation to go doesn't mean a millennial understands it the same way and so that's why it's so important is we embrace them and the differences and help them understand where we're coming from as much as we want to understand um, them to know where we're coming from a different generation and and I and I just want to put a little caveat to that I did share the overview of the five generations, but I do believe we have our generational DNA, which is our year of birth, but we also have our generational personality, and that is formed based on life events, the culture where we're raised, could be you're the oldest child or the youngest child in the family, could be you were raised by very responsible, regimented parents. So not all millennials are equal. And it's really unfair when I hear, you know, one stereotype overall. I have two of my stepdaughters are the most responsible young ladies I have ever met. And so they are. And it was because of how they're raised. They actually balance a checking account. I'm like, woo, who knew that should be going on? So it happens. And they're very, very smart. They embrace technology. They learn at warp speed. And so that's why we need to work with them, mentor them, train them, attract them. We want them because they're our next generation of leaders. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, I'm convinced. Now, another thing that I want to kind of pivot to now that we've situated them in the workplace, you're writing a whole book dedicated to marketing to them. So you've written, because I've seen some some of your work leading up to your book, that millennials are influencers. How so? Yeah, they are influencers in how marketers are creating their ads, their campaign. They're also influencers in how the organizations are asking them for feedback and companies on what should their brand be? What should the message be? So instead of brands saying, this is what we want, they're actually reaching out to them and asking for their feedback, but they're going one step further. The smart ones are going another step. They're saying, 
okay, we're going to take people who are really good at blogging and who have a great online presence, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to work with them, and they're going to help convert our message to something where millennials can actually see it, feel it, connect with it, and that's how they're making the biggest difference, is they're reaching out to the people who have the strongest platform. Mm, that makes great sense to me. And and certainly knowing that, the, that they use platforms in a different way. In fact, I'll just say quickly, la- uh, last week when I was on an airplane going to New York City for consulting work, I met on the plane next to me a 30-year-old woman who is an actress and a movie producer. And she's going to be on my show next week, by the way. And, you know, it was so great because she goes, hey, this is so exciting. I'm so glad to be on your show. I, do you mind if I create something for us on Instagram to share that? that I'm going to be on your show. And, I, and I'm like, absolutely. Do you know that within like a half an hour, she responded back with that? <laughs> and I thought it was just gorgeous. Warp speed. I mean, Warp speed. It, it's just they have access to technology and they know how to use it. And obviously that's, that's the major difference is things that we may have to go search for. They know how to find it, create it. Like I have had... And I'll, I, I'm okay to admit this. I have had my Microsoft Surface for almost a year now, and I still have not gone to a class to learn all the best features of it. And the other day, my husband said, hey, are you using your pen that you can use it as a tablet? And I'm like, are you kidding? I don't know half the features yet, but it's on my calendar <laughs> to learn. <laughs> and by then, there'll be a new edition out, and I'll be like, okay, need to try this all over again. You know, I appreciate what you're saying so much, Sherry, because on my show last week with Mike Rochelle, we were talking about how artificial intelligence and robotics and just the sheer pace of the world we work in today is going to require all of us to constantly learn, just just like what you're saying, right? And of course, that can be both exhilarating and also very tiring, right? We're constantly in a place of learning something. Uh, I know I resist that myself. I'm like, but I know how to do it this way, and it works, Yeah, it's kind of like the mentality of it's not broken. Why do we need to change it? So let's just keep going. And that's really, honestly, and I have the same mentality. If I wasn't the generational guru, I would really totally embrace that. But I'm like, okay, change is inevitable. And I still have this sign I used to have in my office that said, change is hard. You go first. Love that. I know. I need to dig it out again because before somebody would walk into my office and have an issue from an HR perspective, I'm like, did you read the sign at the door? Because if it's about change, then we need to have conversation because you're right. It's not easy. But millennials embrace it because they have seen nothing but change since they've been born. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were talking a little bit about that. And that's why that young lady you're sitting with she could create that so quickly she knows how to do it on her phone she can do it on her ipad she can do it on you know any device and have it up and running and out there before you even get off the plane Mm -hmm. and by the way her name is ashley kate jones we'll talk about her Ashley, ashley kate jones she'll be on the air with us next week well, speaking a little, another thing about millennials that really intrigued me that you've you've, you've written about is, is you've talked about their frugality in your book. What do you mean by that? How are they frugal? Okay, so a lot of millennials um, belong or were born to baby boomer parents. And what they saw with their parents is they were overspending and the amount of debt their parents are in. 
And so one of the things is they're they're making choices to hold back and not spend money on material things. They don't need to have a bunch of stuff for them to know that their life is happy. They want experiences. So where they will be frugal in areas that maybe we wouldn't be, they will be more about the experience and they're willing to do that. So from a frugal perspective, that's really what I'm saying is they're a lot more discerning about where they'll spend their money and with whom. They want to feel connected to the seller, to the product, and they're willing to spend it, but it has to be something that they want. For instance, I just had heard this on the, the other day on the radio and shared it out on social media, but it is true. A new research study has come out. Over a third of millennials have been you know, holding off buying a home, but if they choose to go out into the marketplace and purchase a home, over a third of the reason is, number one, because of their pets. They need a backyard or a bigger place for their animal. Isn't that amazing? Okay, Mm -hmm. if I was looking for a house before, I would have done it because I would have had a child and she needed a playground, you know, but number one is because of their pet, not because they're married, but their pet. Number two is it's an investment. Number three is for space for family. So pets actually, in a millennial's mind, win out over everything else when it comes to home buying. Wow, that is blow your mind. Yeah, it does. It it really does. And and back to the whole notion of them being frugal. I mean, I've got it. This is just a microcosm, obviously, what we're talking about. But you know that I teach at Southern Methodist University, and I one of the things that I teach is internships and careers and how to get get and keep your first job. And part of what we do in that is teach them how to do a budget so they know what they can live on when they when they get out there. And what I find, Sherry, to your point, is that they're they're very very aware and concerned about you know, making their way in the world and having, you know, making enough money to live on. And they're, they're careful. They're very thoughtful about this whole exercise and the approach and, and recognize that they're going out there into the world on their own. And so I don't know if that's part of what informs them being frugal is that there's a feeling that, you know, I got to go make this on my own and I don't have a safety net and maybe the market isn't as strong as it was earlier. I don't know how much that factors in. Do you have any intel on that? Okay. All of it. It's it's all of that, but they also are looking at it and going, okay, I want to see value. If I'm going to spend my money, I want to make sure it's in the right place. And and for people who know me or read any of my um, stuff online, I'm a shoeaholic, self-professed, as you know, Elise. And you know, I don't need to have just one or two pairs of shoes. I need like a hundred or two hundred. Mm-hmm. And you know, a millennial will be like, okay, I need three pairs of running shoes, maybe two pairs of this, one pair of that. They don't see the need for the excess. And Mm. and that's one of the biggest reasons. And where do we put our excess? All of our things. Well, we need bigger homes. We need storage units. We need, we need, we need. So it goes to being massive consumers of stuff. And that's totally the opposite of what they want. Mm. I bought a pair recently. Quite honestly, I didn't buy the ones that are really popular because they weren't very fashionable to me. I bought another kind that they offer. But they... They donate a pair of shoes for every shoe that is sold. Mm -hmm. And so it is a lot of the reasons why millennials are buying Tom's shoes because of how they give back and how they share that with their buyers. 
Mm, that's such a great sentiment, and I want to say more about that, but let's take a quick break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Sherry Elliott-Yuri, who is an author, speaker, coach, and trainer in the area of human resources and talent management. She's the author of Ties to Tattoos, Turning Generational Differences into Competitive Advantage, and she's also soon releasing a book series called Crack the Millennial Code, where book one is marketing, two is managing, and three is motivating the millennials. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Sherry Elliott-Yuri. She is the generational guru. She is a generational keynote speaker, coach, and author. She was born in 1968, so her DNA is Gen X, but her generational personality is a baby boomer. We've been talking a bit about her perspective on and what she's learned in her research in marketing to millennials. We're going to talk next a little bit about managing millennials, but first, let's go back to what we were saying just before the break around how millennials will actually choose their purchases or choose how to purchase based on their connection to their seller. And you mentioned Tom shoes. I find it really beautiful that they are as interested as they are in knowing who they're doing business with and being connected to them. Um, and, and maybe it isn't just about getting the best deal, but it, about what's behind that deal. Yes, it's not just that they're frugal and they want to get a good deal. Believe it or not, millennials actually get coupons and they like that. They want to save money. So that's one way of being frugal. But the other part is they want to know if they're going to spend their money that there's something behind it that they give back to charity that, you know, there's something substantial about the organization on the why. And if a marketer and an organization can answer the why before the millennial asks the question to themselves, then they're the ones who are going to get the purchase and the buy. Mm. I think that's fascinating and lovely. Okay, well, let's go on next to managing millennials. And before we do that, Cherry, I think it would be helpful if if we could talk a little bit about the percentage of uh, the percentage breakdown of the the various generations in the workplace. Can you can you do this, that for us next? Yeah, absolutely. Well, between now and up to twenty twenty, traditionalists will make up less than one percent of the workforce. Baby boomers will make up twenty two percent of the workforce. Gen Xers will make up approximately 20% of the workforce. Millennials will make up 50% of the workforce. And Gen Z by 2020 will make up 7% of the workforce. The reason I think this is so important is is within a couple of years, baby boomers that make up 22% of the workforce, our knowledge um, is with them, our industry knowledge, our company knowledge, everything. And so there's 50% of millennials coming in, but only 22% of baby boomers as they get ready to leave. Who's going to train 50% of the workforce that are millennials? What is the organization got planned and in motion to start that collaborative learning and, and, and that 
type of process from knowledge sharing from one generation to another. And then we have Gen Xers just stuck right there in the middle. And, you know, they're going, okay, well, I kind of understand the reason why we do the things that we do. And I understand why millennials behave the way they do. And so it's not enough. And that's where organizations, they really need to tap into their baby boomers before they retire so that they can start transferring that critical knowledge that those people are going to take with them. And mm-hmm. not only do they take it with them, at least they become consultants and then they right. sell it back. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And we charge more once we're a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Yes. Okay, well, that was a, a great way to set up and understand just why you're focused, again, on, on the millennials. And I have certainly heard some of those figures before myself. I, I want to talk now about you know managing millennial, the millennials. So first, in order to manage them, you got to be able to get them in a new organization. So, And I started my human capital career 20-some years ago in recruiting. So I'm interested to know what have you found or what have you researched that, that millennials are attracted to in a company? Why might they say, yes, I want to come to work for you? Well, any way that they can research an organization before they even look to hit the apply now button, they're going to be researching. They're going to be out on jobvent.com, seeing if anybody else has had any um, issues or what people are saying about this organization. They're going to look at on their Facebook profile, et cetera. Of course, a Google search. So anything about the organization that they can find on social media. And I'm going to put another asterisk there. Again, they find it on social media and just because it's online or it's on Google does not mean it's true and accurate, but that's the tool they use. And so they're getting their information from there before they even choose to apply. So it's really critical for organizations to make sure that their company has a website that is inviting. It's almost like, and I heard a speaker last weekend he kind of like leaned in towards the audience and it's almost like he was going to tell us a secret. And I found myself like leaning in, wanting to like hear his secret. And it's kind of like that. The company needs to kind of like go, hey, hey, look what we do. This is what we do. This is why we're kind of fun to work for. Instead of going, hey, you know what? We're going to pay you more than minimum wage and you you should be just happy you have a job. And you know what? You might get benefits after 90 days. You need to answer the why in a way that they can connect to, mm-hmm. not because you're forcing it to them. Because there's enough jobs out there that does not interest them. Think about the soft sell. Do you give back to different charities? Have that on your website. Who is your senior leadership team? Photos of them, biographies, something that they can connect to. Because if someone went to a school and is a Canadian, we do not have the same kind of alumni experience um, as the U.S., but if you went to a university and you were at A&M um, or at Oklahoma, and they go, oh, wow, the person I'm interviewing with went to Oklahoma. Okay, so I can connect with them on that. But if that was not on the organization website, it would be very difficult for them to find a way to go, hey, I want to do that. I, I can try to find a way to connect with that person. Mm. Now, what about the actual work? So the organization makes sense to me. I completely understand the whole why piece. What about the actual work? Is there something about the work itself that they're looking for? 
Well, first of all, on day one, if they walk in and they don't have balloons tied to their chair. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like a welcome. <laughs> welcome. And, you know, really, employers need to celebrate their hires. But what they're looking for is they don't want to wait five days and see 20 layers of bureaucracy before they can get someone to sign off on a phone and a computer. They want to get to work. So within the first day, a lot of millennials are making their decision. Should I stay or should I go? Just based on that, their very first day. And what they're looking for is they want to grow and develop. And I share this with my clients. As baby boomers, we have a career ladder. And we're climbing that ladder and we keep going and keep going and we get to a different position, higher, better title on our business cards, you know, bigger office, etc. That's what we do. Millennials create a lattice framework where they weave in their experience. It's not up and down. You know, they may want to learn something in marketing. Well, they've conquered that within eight months. Well, then what else can we help them do? But the magic question really is, how are you supposed to do that if you don't have the answers? So you have to ask them, what is it they're looking for? What is it that lights them up, that gives them a reason for staying and working for you? And that's the way you ask that question. You don't say, where do you see yourself in five years? They're like, dude, again, thinking, dude, you know what? I'm not going to be here in five years. They're thinking five years is a really long time. They're looking for sound bites. So asking them what motivates them and what else they want to do and learn is then they know you're connected to them and you're actually listening and you care. Mm. You know, as you talk about this, Sherry, I'm thinking so vividly about a young 28-year-old woman that I'm coaching right now. She's a rock star. She's so she's wicked smart. She can spin a number of plates in her head at any one time. She's great at creating a vision for people so they can see where they're going. She's just awesome. And she's with an organization right now and it, it, that values her as well. However, you know, like many organizations that have been around for a while and have been successful, they've got an HR set of processes in place that says you have to be in your position for X number of months or years before you can be promoted into the next level or whatever. And she's looking at that going, you've got to be kidding me. I'm, I am running circles around my peers and you want me to wait in my role for the next six months and be patient while you figure out, you know, when it, when it's okay for me to go into my next, my next role. And I'm, and I, I'm, I'm counseling her to, to push back on the conversation and ask them to, to explain, you know, what's so behind that. I'm, I'm thinking that there's a lot of organizations out there that have got antiquated processes in place that will actually prevent millennials from contributing their best and from progressing in their careers because of those constraints. Thoughts? Yeah, absolutely correct. And, and if millennials are not satisfied in their job, at least 43 to 65, 66% of them are actively searching for a new job. So if they feel like they've hit the ceiling, and again, their ceiling isn't straight up and down, they're already looking for something else and they're getting ready to leave. And the sheer cost of recruiting anybody, especially a millennial, and then getting them onboarded is so expensive. The average turn, the cost of turnover is 30% of someone's annual salary. That's if you don't use a recruiter. Recruiters are typically another 25 to 35%. So there's your ROI right there. If employers are going, well, you know, it sounds good, but we don't have the ability. We don't have the money to put this program in place. Yes, you do. If you take it from 
this place, you can put it in a more positive, proactive space, and you can reduce turnover. And it's it's that exact reason. They may have old policies that worked for the other generations, but it doesn't work for millennials. And it's not like we're saying, well, we have to throw everything out and start again. But you know what? What about asking millennials, putting together a task force and asking them, hey, why do you work here? What motivates you? What keeps you here? What would you like to see differently? Perfect way. And of course, you can say to them, even though you're sharing this with us doesn't mean we can do all these things, but your voice and your opinion matters enough to us that we want to spend the time asking you. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that, uh, turning it a little bit here, I, I want to get your perspective uh, on how do you recommend or how does your research recommend that managers and leaders working millennials adapt their management style to best engage millennials? What do they need to do differently or maybe improve on? Yes, yes. I love the idea of different because, um, you know, it's um, I, I just did a speech for an organization. I said, it's not good. It's not bad. We're just different. And it's it's really that is so so true because we all have different strengths and you and I know about strengths finder you obviously are a, you're a professional in it, but they need to get out from behind the desk. That's step one. Millennials don't believe in the corporate ladder as I mentioned. So you as the boss, just because you have the title, doesn't mean that that automatically gets you their respect. So get out from behind the desk. Get with them one-on-one. Have informal meetings with them. Understand how they want to be communicated with just by asking them that, hey, how how do you want to be communicated? What, do you, what are your interests? Those are big questions for them. And that's the difference. I can't tell you I've had any supervisor ever sit down and ask me, what do you like to do? If you did a great job, how would you want to be rewarded? You know, our reward, quite frankly, was our paycheck. And that's not the same for millennials. They want to feel valued. So it's like a bank account. You have to put eight strokes of positive in the bank account every day. And then you earn a little interest. And then it grows. And for every eight strokes of positive, you can give them one constructive feedback. But you can't go ahead and talk to them in a way that is talking down to them. It needs to be motivating. It needs to be uplifting and sharing with them what they could do differently, not what they did wrong. That's Mm. forcing versus coaching. And millennials (laughs) need coaching. And I think even just sprinkling that into the way we talk, you know, we're not here to correct any anything that might have been perceived as a mistake. We're here to coach and, and, and develop you and I, I think that there's so much in the way that we even set the context for a conversation like that. Yes, absolutely. And, and it is just changing our verbiage just a little bit to, to have it from a place of you're not wrong. Let me show you a different way because they're tired of hearing, well, you have to earn a promotion or you have to earn this job. That's not true. They worked hard. They got the job. They obviously have the skills and abilities to do it, and they're interested in doing more. So why don't you set up a path for them to be able to make that valuable contribution? You know, one of the other suggestions is even give them a project. Let them sit on a project team and just watch and listen. They're going to learn so much. And that 
does not cost an organization a cent. Mm. Well, one of the things that I'm very interested in, too, because in the work that, that, that I do, I'm, we, there's an awful lot about accountability, re- responsibility, et cetera. So once they're actually on a project, they're actually in their space, how do you hold millennials accountable for their work? What's effective in that realm? Well, first, you have to explain to them what is required from them. And job descriptions are kind of a thing of the past, and they are very, you know, required to be legal. You're supposed to have employees sign off on them. Millennials don't want a job description. They want to know what their role is in the organization. And if you explain it to them, like, your job is to make sure the widget gets into the car as it's going down the assembly line so that Johnny can put his next widget in. And if you don't show up at 8 o'clock and you're online at 8.05, your widgets are not getting put in those cars. And it could cost people their lives and we have to shut down the assembly line. That's what they need to understand. Not because I say so or you've been told. You need to make it clear to them how their contribution fits in in the overall team and the impact on the organization. You know, when I, co- I contrast that, again, this is just my experience and, and my own small realm of life, but um, I just, what I hear is how we need to be such better communicators overall. And it takes something to be a really good communicator, to bring something to life in a way that's very accessible. And even when I teach, share, uh, you know, my students will sometimes say, I need more clarity on that. That just isn't clear for me. And I recognize that I've just kind of thrown something out there and thought they would catch it. And I didn't make the effort enough for them to be able to really get present to it. And I contrast that with, you know, years ago working for what would have been, um, uh, not a, a, probably, I, I guess it would have been a baby boomer. And his whole perspective was not to create a job description because that would be limiting to people, but rather let them create their own. And that's kind of what I grew up with, that sort of mentality as a Gen Xer. Yes, absolutely. And it is great that they can create their own. Unfortunately, with millennials, they are coming from home and college and they don't have that understanding. And so they need... Kind of like when you first learn to bowl, they have those bumper pads. They need some bumper pads. And it's our job to help coach them and lead them so that they don't go outside those bumper pads for a while. So that they can get their feet on the ground and they can learn some things and they can start moving forward in their role. They need that. They can't just get out there. Their parents have done a lot for them. They've had a lot going on, and they haven't really had that opportunity to fall down, skin their knee, and get back up again and go, oh, yeah, that's how that worked. So I think we do a disservice if we don't give them enough structure, but on the other hand, we can't give them too much structure. And so that is the delicate balancing act that employers and leaders are trying to to desperately find if they're going to not only attract, but be able to manage millennials. Mm. Beautiful, Sherry, beautiful. Let's take a quick break here. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're in the air with Sherry Elliott Yuri, who is an author, speaker, coach, and trainer in the area of human resources and talent management. She is the author of Ties to Tattoos, Turning Generational Differences into Competitive Advantage. And she's now soon releasing a book series called Crack the Millennial Code, where book one is marketing, two is managing, and three is motivating the millennials. We've been talking about how to manage millennials. After this last break, we're going to talk about how to motivate them. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, our guest is Sherry Elliott-Yuri, who is also known as the Generational Guru. She is a generational keynote speaker, coach, and author. She was born in 1968, so her DNA is a Gen Xer, but her generational personality is a baby boomer. She is the author of Ties to Tattoos, Turning Generational Differences into Competitive Advantage, and is now just releasing a book series called Crack the Millennial Code, where book one is marketing, two is managing, and three is motivating the millennials. For this last segment, we're going to talk about the motivational piece here. So we've already said a little bit about what millennials want out of their work. So I think we've covered most of that. But what is it that keeps them engaged? Why would they actually stay in an organization? Because motivation, of course, is about energy and connection. Yes, absolutely right. It is. And feeling like you're part of something larger. And I'm going to answer that in a little more depth. But I just wanted to give you a quick statistic. According to Forbes, 90% of employees say generational conflicts waste their time and productivity. Can you imagine if we could reduce the generational conflicts we have in the workplace, what that would do for increasing return on investment, bottom line, productivity? It's amazing. And and so to me, it's just astonishing that a lot of times this generational um, discord can really make a difference in the day-to-day operations for a manager. So I just wanted to give you that sidebar because it was really important to me. That's huge. It is huge. And I just want to comment on it quickly. And you and I both know this because we talk about it all the time. But I'm always amazed at the number of people who come in and talk to me about these millennials. They don't want to work or they just don't get it, et cetera, et cetera. And again, it comes from that place of not understanding who they're working with and what they want and how they can, as you say, crack that code. And if they could get past those differences how much more productive the workplace could be. So absolutely with you on that. And thank you for presencing that stat. That's huge. So what what keeps them there and engaged? And, and I've heard you say this, and I quoted it the other day, and I say it often, but I quoted it to someone. I said, you can't pay an employee to be engaged. You can pay them to do their job or to do their duties, but to go a step above and actually be engaged There has to be something else. There's another reason. And so for millennials, if they can find a way to connect with the organization, they thrive on collaboration. They desire that whole life work balance and they can multitask better than any other generation. So if they can see that they have a future, again, not five to 10 years out, but they can go, wow, this looks interesting. And I want to stay here because this project is helping bring clean water to Puerto Rico to the people in the mountains right now. Wow, our company's really doing something cool, and I get to be part of that. And they also want to be asked, what is it you know, that they want to be working on? Or to be asked for their opinion 
on certain projects or ideas. They want to be in those rooms, not being told when someone walks out and goes, hey, we need this report by 4.55. And they go, well, then that's just a job. They don't feel part of anything bigger than just themselves. And one of the biggest parts to have somebody engaged, especially millennials, is if they have friends at work. Mm. Because it's not just work. They socialize. One of the companies I had the opportunity to tour is Cyrus One, and it's a data um, organization and data warehousing. And before I even saw any of that here in Dallas, I got to see their rock climbing wall. And I was like, woo-woo. And then my workers' comp brain kicked in. I'm like, workplace injuries, red alert, red (laughs) alert. (laughs) But I was there from an HR generational perspective. So I'm like, okay, let me switch that hat. And then they had like Atari areas and Nintendo. And people had big bean chairs and they were playing together. And then in other sections, they had meditation rooms and quiet spaces. So people could go in and do whatever they wanted to do. And so it brought the employees together in a way that was very meaningful. It wasn't just, hey, you get your one-hour break, here you go. No, they had ways for people to keep their minds engaged at the same time of connecting with others. It's harder for a millennial to make the choice to leave a job if they feel connected and have friends at work than it is if they don't. Okay, so I want to comment on something really quick here because I it's just screaming at me as, as, as you talk. One of the things that, of course, I've learned in the consulting work that I do is the importance of, of, of acknowledgement and acknowledging in a way that really, really lands for the person. And if this, I mean this, of course, all generations, but then I want to get specific to the millennials. And so what I think is also important to say to our listeners is that the way that we situate um, how these millennials are connected to a mission is really important. Like, for example, saying, wow, Sherry, cannot tell you as, uh, how much I appreciate you staying and doing that that report for our client because it allows us to be able to deliver on that project that they're counting on us for and save a certain number of whatever it is, their, their, or connect with a certain number of their clients or their patients or whatever it is. So positioning their contribution to something bigger is, is I, I know gener- generically speaking, is very effective for employees. But for millennials, how do they want to be recognized or acknowledged? Yeah, that's really interesting you asked that question um, because everybody wants to be rewarded and recognized differently, especially across the, the generations. But millennials, they don't have the same interest in, in getting awards and trophies, etc. Um, it's quite the opposite. Uh, I recently was at an organization where the new hire employees, they did a little video of them and the person came up and was welcomed by the school president. And when I got to talk to the millennials the next day and interview them, most of them had been sick to their stomach two to three days in advance because they are so afraid and they were so afraid to get up on stage that it terrified them. They didn't have to say anything, but they were so horrified. So what we might consider is, woo-woo, we get to get up there and hobnob with the president. They are sick to their stomach three days in advance, and it feels like a punishment to them, not a reward. 
So what they're looking for is ways to give back to the community. Can they go spend a day with Habitat for Humanity? Can they work with a local shelter? Can they, you know, go out and clean up garbage? Can they do something with an organization that they feel passionate about? Go out and feed the homeless. And then it becomes an organizational project, not just them. And that's, you know, asking them, how do you feel like we can reward you? And they're going to tell you, I'd like a day off. You know, if someone asked me, and obviously everybody now knows my age because I've started publishing <laughs> my year of birth. Um, if someone asked me, how do you be rewarded? I'm like, oh, a day at the spa would be fabulous. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pat myself on the back and go, okay, Sherry, you can give yourself that gift. But it, it really is true. That's not going to look the same way for them. We may look at it and go as baby boomers, Gen Xers, hey, you know what, I really want to go to this conference and wouldn't it be cool if the company would let me go and, you know, would actually pay for me? Well, that's not exactly the same thing that they're going to want to do. They're not going to want to get up at 6 a.m. and be there for the morning breakout. They may want to show up for the keynote speaker, but they're not wanting to be there at 6 a.m. to network and stay till 9 p.m. at night and then network after hours, which at least you, as I've said, are the master networker. That is not what millennials want to be doing. They want to be having connection. And just to hang on that really quick, I got something. I was I was moderating a women's leadership panel for the CPHL conference in Philadelphia a few weeks ago. And one of the panelists said something fascinating. You know how we used to use the, the phrase work-life balance? Well, nobody says that anymore because it's ridiculous. Then we went into work-life integration. And what this panelist said is uh, the importance of having work-life harmony. Isn't that awesome? So what yeah. you're just getting at there with regard to you know, having some harmonious relationship between what you do off hours and what you do for direct work and the rest of your life, I think, is really key to understand um, for, of course, anyone in the workplace, but certainly for millennials. Yes. And, and millennials, and, and, you know, there's something about the whole connection. They can leave work at 5 o'clock or 3 o'clock, and they can go and do a sport or watch their son play soccer, etc. And then they're going to be able to jump back on the computer at home, and they're more productive. They're going to get more done. That's because they have access to technology. And so that's how they look at it and go, you know what? If I could actually get home and take my dog for a walk or go do a workout, I'm going to be more likely to give back to you because you were flexible with me. And that's the art of, of the engagement, is finding out what really matters to them and then working it so that it can, it can be something cohesive and it works for the company. And the employee feels like they're being heard. Yeah, it goes back to that harmony. I think a lot of people are just really, really hungry for that to make everything work in their lives. They feel so overwhelmed, et cetera. So, um, all right. So, Sherry, we're getting really close to the end of the show already. It evaporates every time I talk with you. So I want to I want you to be able to share with you any pearls of wisdom that you have for our listeners. Keeping in mind, we have listeners across the globe of all ages. Um, in about one minute, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I want to just part with this is again it's not good it's not bad we are just different I was raised in Canada so things were very different here in Texas when I moved here and it was a matter of me showing up and others showing up and showing who we truly are in a way that's meaningful and that doesn't matter if it's millennials or any other generation 
It's we all have strengths and we all have areas of challenge. But how can we take our generational differences and make them a collaborative experience? And first, it's appreciating who the other person is and being open to feedback and doing things a little bit different. And it just means you got to get uncomfortable a little bit and go back to my sign. Change is hard. You go first. And if we can all do that, it will make a huge difference in our world. We will be a much more collaborative. Beautiful way to finish, Sherry. Thank you again for joining me on the show. Always appreciate your heart, your wisdom, your contribution, your thought leadership. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you want to learn more about Sherry Elliott-Urey and the work she does or any of her books that are consulting, go to her website. It's generationalguru.com. Next week, we'll be on the air, as I mentioned, with Ashley Kate Jones. She is a 30-year-old actress and producer, and I'm having her on the show because I want to tell her story about how she has stayed true to her passion, her dream of being an actress and a producer and making a difference, even though it's been hard. It's been an amazing story for her, and she's bumped her, her chin and her knees along the way several times. Great story. See you then. And remember that work is at least one-third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>